This is Stage Right, and I am your host, John Thorne. They say if you die with a handful of friends, you die a rich man. Well, I have several buses full, and I'm very excited to share them all with you. Welcome to Stage Right. I am your host, John Thorne. This is episode 23 today. Uh, my guest today is Bryn Gershmill, the wife of Mark Gershmill. Bryn was in Rachel Rachel and is now part of Soul Breather with Gersh. And you can check them out. You'll hear more from Bryn about that later. I've had several requests through email to tell more of my story, which I think is funny because my story really is intertwined with everybody on the show. So I'm not sure... I need to do a whole episode with me. I did have Ron Rockstar, the buddy of mine from Montreal, interview me, and we recorded it for an episode of Stage Right, but it's sitting on my computer because I really, I'm not sure that uh, we need to do a whole show on me. So I decided that what I could do and do it comfortably was actually just share the music with you for the next several weeks. I'll give you a top five list of music that influenced me and made me want to get into Christian music to begin with. So today I'm going to give you the top five Russ Taft songs from when he was in the Imperials. These are up-tempo Imperial songs featuring Russ Taft. Number five, Overcomer. It's the first track on the Heed the Call album. Number four, I'm Forgiven off the One More Song for You album. Number three, Finish What You Started off the Priority album, which was his last album with the Imperials. Number two, What I Can Do For You off the One More Song For You album. And probably the song in the top three songs when he was with the Imperials that Russ was known for, The Trumpeted Jesus off the Priority album. Go check those songs out on YouTube and uh, that'll be a peek into what I loved as a kid growing up. Hey Rockstar provides digital marketing software and services to generate more leads, more exposure, and more revenue for your business or organization. Let Hey Rockstar amplify your awesomeness. Thorn. <laughs> hey, how's it going, Brent? <laughs> Fine. Cool. Hang on, let me put my phone on Do Not Disturb. You do that, and while you do that, I will introduce you. Ladies and gentlemen, she is a chef by day <laughs> and a pop rock star by night. The one, the only Bryn Gershmill from Rachel Rachel. <laughs> so I have two questions real quick before we get started, Bryn. First of all, what's for dinner tonight? Uh, I've got chili in the Instant Pot, which I can turn on and it'll be ready in 30 minutes. So <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, uh, I've got time. Cool. I know that your chili uh, in the winter months down there is a Gersh fan favorite, so uh, Gersh will be eating good tonight. My other question before we get too far into this, if I drop by tonight, is anyone sleeping in the guest room? No. <laughs> no. 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 If I drop in, I have a place. <laughs> you do, and you know now that we're empty nesters, uh, you do have a place. Well, speaking of that, let's just talk about this first and uh, let everyone know what's going on with your fabulous son, Trevor. Oh, well, let's see. We have one child who's now a man child. Yes. Um, 
He's 22 years old and he uh, married his, well, that he was, she was kind of his high school sweetheart, more his college sweetheart because they met when uh, he was a senior in high school. But they dated for five years and she's absolutely precious and wonderful. And so now we have a daughter. They got married on June 27th of this last year year a covid year and um they live now in birmingham alabama and he just got his first like real job i have a college degree and i have a real job kind of job that he started yesterday and so we're all excited for him very cool yes of course the three of you aren't tight or anything oh yeah well no (laughs) yeah we have a we have a wonderful relationship we're just so blessed. He's a wonderful young man. And, um, you know, people say, oh, well, that's because you raised him right. It's like, well, no, I don't really think that's true. Um, I think there's some truth to that. But, um, you know, I know wonderful Christian people who raised their children wonderfully, and they just went off the rails. Right. Because um, our kids aren't ours. The right. Lord's very clear about that. Yeah. They're his, um, and they are their own person and they make their own decisions and you can raise them in the way they should go and hopefully they will return to it someday but you know there's no guarantee that they're just going to come out free and clear and how many people do you know that have that have you know more than one child and one of them is off the rails you know Mm -hmm. and they were all raised in the same home so you know there's just right sin is Sin is a very not good bad thing. Yep. <laughs> it does bad things. Yeah, for sure. And it affects some people differently than others. And um, so we're just very blessed that he's such a wonderful young man. Okay, so for everybody that wants to know, that was a Whiteheart and a Rachel Rachel fan, who is Trevor more like? You were Gersh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, let's see. When he was little, he looked just like me. But now that he's getting mannish, um, or he is mannish, he he looks a little bit more like Gersh. Right. I got to tell you, Bryn, a couple weeks ago, I was looking around (laughs) Facebook, and I saw this picture of Gersh with the Gaithers. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's Trevor. Oh, I'll have to see that picture. You'll have to send that to me. I will if I can find it. I will definitely send it to you. Gersh couldn't have been more than 24 years old. Except Trevor's six feet tall, so we don't know where that came from. <laughs> uh, he's he's quite tall, and he's extremely handsome, but he has no idea that he is. So it's all it's all a good thing. So as far as personality goes, gosh, he's like both of us. Yeah. Don't you love it when you when your kids like treat you in a way that you realize, oh my gosh, I did that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I have to tell you a quick story about Alexis. Okay. So (laughs) a couple years ago I was sick and I was sick for about two years and I was having these episodes where I would get like wake up in the night in pain and I would be sick and couldn't sleep for 12, 14 hours. Then I'd sleep it off. And I just kind of put off going to the doctor for a couple of years, basically. So one time it didn't get better and I was in Nashville working and I had to come home and I was scheduled to go in for surgery for something. Oh. And I came in, went to the doctor's office and he's like, you need to go in the hospital right now. We need to get this taken care of. You have a, I didn't know this. You have a, I know you have a gallstone lodged in your bile duct 
and yeah. it's giving you all kinds of problems. You need to go in the hospital today. So put me in the hospital, had surgery the next day, and I wake up and my daughter and my daughter Alexis and her husband Zach were standing there. My daughter Taylor was there oh. and Julie. And as soon as I woke up, I look over and Alexis is sitting right by my head. And she said to me, well, I hope you're happy. This is your fault. <laughs> And I laughed and I said, what do you mean? And she said, you do know this is your fault, right? <laughs> she said, I told you two years ago to go to the doctor. You were sick for two years and you just wouldn't go. So you deserve this. <laughs> well, there you go. Look what you created. It was like one of the proudest moments of my life. <laughs> I went, oh my gosh, I did have impact on you. <laughs> that's perfect so congratulations on the new daughter-in-law that's awesome they live just a few hours down the road so you get to see them yeah three hours that's great Gershmill table for four your seats are ready okay so let's get to Bryn Gershmill the songwriter musician Christian when did music become part of your life was it before or after you became a Christian well, it kind of always was to some extent. I, I learned how to play guitar at the YMCA and, you know, took lessons at the park oh, and, you know, those kind of things. And um, right. Well, my sister was singing piano lessons when I was really young, like, oh, wow. she's three years older than I am. Okay. And um, she was taking piano lessons and she was playing, you know, the little elephant song or whatever right. <laughs> little kid songs are. And, I went up to the piano and, um, you know, I was probably like five years old wow. and, um, and I started just playing the song that she had been playing, you know, just a little kid song, but still right. I started doing that. And my mom was kind of like, Oh, I guess it's time to get Bryn some lessons. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, my mom always had me and my mom could play the piano. She, she was semi-musical and, so she uh, had me in piano lessons and, you know, I learned how to play classical music and I really liked it and did my, my teachers love me because I practiced. Right. And, you know, poor teachers. Oh, my gosh. They they teach these kids and then the kids don't practice. I can't even imagine what it's like today with all of the distractions that kids deal with today and right. the busyness that our society has come to think is Normal. is good and successful and those kind of things. But, um, yeah, I, I would practice. In fact, I grew up in a small apartment. My, my parents were divorced when I was quite young and, um, my mom and my sister and I lived in, um, Sherman Oaks, California in Los Angeles and, um, just a two bedroom, one bathroom apartment. So small. Um, I never thought it was small though. What right. did I know? Yeah. <laughs> fine to me but um i would practice piano and my sister would get mad and she'd call my mom at work and say <laughs> brand is practicing again she won't stop oh that's funny we had to negotiate you had to negotiate and um so anyway yeah i i've always played and then i started um i started writing songs when i was in like junior high school i actually you know what i i came upon this song i got to live with my dad for one year when i was in fifth grade so what are you like 11 when you're fifth grade? and um i 
I ran across this song that I wrote called My Daddy and Me. Oh. And it was just this cute little little girl song, you know, I love my dad. And um and I looked at it as as a someone who had become a professional musician and songwriter and had, you know, relative success, some success at that. And I looked at the song and it had song form. It was A, B. And uh-huh. I mean, it just, it was there. And all the lines, oh, wow. like were all the same. And the syllables didn't fall in the wrong places and, <laughs> you know, all that kind of thing. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Because I was, I had never had anybody, hmm talk to me about that or right. teach me that or anything. So, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that there's, and Gersh and I have this discussion, he doesn't necessarily agree with me, but I, I think there are certain gifts. Um, and there'll be a lot of people, if they're listening, that may not like this. And um, that's okay. I've been known to say lots of things. <laughs> Shake it up, Bryn. <laughs> that people don't like. But I, I believe that like certain people are given gifts by God. Right. They're just God given. Right. And I mean, look at these amazing athletes we watch on TV. It's like, I don't care how there are people who work out and mm-hmm. do everything and training, and but they'll never be that guy right. because they, they don't have that gift. Yeah. And it's okay to enjoy that sport and play to the highest level that you're able to play. I and mean, all of that's great. But I just think there's certain things like, um, you know, I see these things on Facebook. Oh, we'll teach you how to write the best hits in like, you know, 30 days or whatever it is. And I'm like, gosh, that's just not true. Right. You know? Right. I, just, I do think, though, that more people on this planet have the gift for something like music than even discover or know because they're just they just never do it or they were never exposed to it or they don't know how to try it. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with that. But I I think uh, when it comes to songwriting, I just don't think anybody can write songs. No, no, no. I mean, I guess that's a misstatement. Anybody can write good songs. Right. Because we know, we hear music every day that the other people wrote. Yeah. Well, (laughs) that's true. That's true. But I mean, I just believe that there is, there are gifts that every, and everybody has something, right? But that God puts in a person and um, that just, it makes it that much better, whether they're the athlete or the whatever it is. So um, I, I think that God gave me a gift to be able to write song. Right. And um, you know, much of my life, I probably haven't used it to the extent that I, that I should, but luckily um, I came to know him and started writing songs about, my faith and my relationship with him. And right. and then that's when it really became something wonderful for me. Right. Okay. So let's just, let me ask you this. Who did resonate with you as a songwriter or an artist? Who did you listen to? Who were some of your first influences? Well, it's kind of hard because when I was in high school, I got into the drug crowd and I became um, like a, a real ended up in my 20s becoming an addict, a coke addict. But um, it kind of distorts um, some things. But the truth is, is I'm a pop queen. And I'm not talking about pop music like we have today. Because right. pop, when you say pop music in 2021, that's a different 
the genre completely from what pop music was yeah. in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. I'm just a pop queen, and anybody, you know, Rachel Rachel was a rock band. Well, you should hear the demos of the songs that we cut that were mine. Hmm. They were, they didn't sound, they were not that rocked out. I mean, I love rock, love playing rock, ended up, you know, figuring out, oh, okay, I can do this. But my heart is, and you know what, Cheryl, our singer, um, she was kind of with me on that, although she's so uh, gifted, she could sing anything i right. mean anything right. but um my i loved hall and oats i love daryl hall i loved ambrosia oh i love ambrosia i just heard them on the radio today oh i loved Am- david pack just like one of my favorite singers ever in the whole world and he i heard he lives in nashville and there's a part of me that's like kind of wanting to find you know, him <laughs> track him down would love to run into him or something but he's probably like 80 now but um Let's see, so many different, but then I like listen to Zeppelin. So, um, you know, there was always a love of, of that kind of thing too. But, um, now, now I'm blanking out on, on who I really, I mean, I'm huge. Dan Fogelberg, that kind of stuff. Uh, I wasn't, I liked him, but I wasn't, I didn't have an album or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, I was, oh, Billy Joel loved old Billy Joel. Right. Loved it. Cool. Because you know, such a great writer. Such a great writer. Right. Now his songs had such story to them and meaning. And and um, I'm not talking Uptown Girl. I'm talking before then, right. like Piano Man, The Stranger album, Glass Houses, all those earlier albums. Oh, I love Steely Dan too. I listen to love love Steely Dan. Yeah. And um, but you know much to the disappointment of many rock fans. Uh, yeah, I liked pop music. <laughs> yeah, liking it then and liking it now though, like you said is two different things. It's two Yeah, I don't I don't care for it now. No. It's so repetitive and no. um I know I sound old, but No, um, it's and it's not it's not even a generational thing anymore. Now it's just okay, we've just ruined music. Yeah, we're we it just means something different than yeah. it used to. So. It makes me want to do drugs and jump up and down. <laughs> I mean, please help me forget what I'm hearing. <laughs> uh, For those of you that don't know me well, I was just joking. I would never do drugs or jump up and down. I would simply bury my head in the sand. <laughs> All right, let's get to this. Tell everyone how you became a Christian and walk us down the path of what led you getting into music or Christian music later on. Well, okay. Um, long story short um, I, I grew up, like I said, in a broken home and um, wasn't the greatest environment in the world. My mom did the best she could uh, with us, but uh, my mom wasn't really loved well by her parents. Right. And so um, she didn't really know how to love mm. my sister and I very well. Um, she wasn't uh, negligent or anything like that. I mean, you know, we always had a roof over our head and the clothes we needed and we always had food on the table. It was a more of an emotional um, right. vacancy, you know, yeah. just just didn't know how to really nurture and unconditionally love us. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I got into high school, I was just the awkward girl. I was, you know, I don't know. I, was, I wasn't the pretty girl. And I grew up in Los Angeles. So you want to talk about difficult a place to grow up. And I mean, 
even back then. So I, I get into high school. I don't fit in anywhere. I'm just, I mean, I don't belong anywhere. I'm not super smart. I mean, I'm not, I'm not dumb, but I'm just not, I mean, I'm not one of those brainiac kind of, you know, people. And um, I'm not athletic at all. So I'm not fitting in with them. Uh, and the cheerleaders, we call them socias, you know, <laughs> they're sociables, they're socias. Right. I didn't fit in with the socias. And, you know, I just, I really didn't fit in anywhere. And I was, I was going out this, the end of a, I went to a pretty big high school. Um, I went out the end of a building and there were these, this group of kids and they were right by the fence. They was really off the quad area where, you know, nobody would hang out over there. And they, they said hello to me. Hmm. I mean, imagine that. And, and then I, I think I went by them again and eventually they were really nice to me and I sort of started hanging out with them. Well, I realized later that the reason they were hanging out there is because they cut the feds <laughs> leave school and go get high or whatever it was. In. So anyway, I, I started hanging out with them and in order to hang out with them, what they did was they smoked a lot of pot. Right. And, um, and I, I really didn't want to do that, but, you know, I think as a human being, especially a young human being, we all just have a need to belong. Mm -hmm. You know, we need, we want to belong somewhere. It's, it's put in us right. by God. Yep. And so, uh, unfortunately, um, if you have no stability at home and no guidance, um, you're going to look to whoever you can to get some kind of fitting in right. belong somewhere. So I started hanging out with them and, um, we just got into doing all kinds of drugs. Um, we had friends that would rob pharmacies hmm. and we would take those drugs and, um, really bad. Like any, we take anything. I mean, it was so sad that I look back on it. And then, um, I ended up, uh, in my, when I was 22 years old, I, uh, ended up marrying my first husband who, um, was in the film business hmm. and, you know, there's no drugs in the film business. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. So of course then we, what we did was we partied and we did a lot of Coke and I found myself, um, doing Coke like all the time because we were, we were dealing it. And then you could, um, you could, you could cut it and, <laughs> right. um, you know, take some for yourself. So, um, I was a dental assistant at the time and, um, I lived about 20 minutes away from <clears throat> where I worked at the time. And I was so, I would, I would stay up, you know, cause Coke keeps you awake and mm. your heart's beating out of your chest. And then you feel like the cops are outside your door because it makes you paranoid. And then I, I'd, I'd say, okay, well, God, if you're there, if the, you know, I just help me through this night and I, I, I won't do this again. I don't want to do this again. And then the next morning comes and I go to work and by lunch, I'm like, I'm going to get in the car and go home. I'm going to, I'm going to get some Coke and, and, and cut it because I don't want my husband knowing I'm taking it because, you know, there's the selling stash and the using stash. Right. <clears throat> and then I would, I would get it and then I'd drive back 
And so I had like a 10 minute window before I had to be back at work. And I would, I, this would happen like day after day after day. And it was mm. the same scenario. And I meant, I meant it when I said, I won't do this tomorrow. I don't want to do it. I meant it with all my heart. Right. So I was trying to stop and my body was not happy about that because you can't feed it for eight months, like every day with Coke. And I'm lucky it was only eight months. I mean, I hear about people who are addicted for years and years and, right. you know, yeah. and they look like it. But anyway, I, um, I got really sick because um, I got this terrible cough and I was very shaky and, um, uh, you know, I think they say you don't have like DTs or something with cocaine, but, um, that's not really true. My body was, you know, things I won't even talk about cause it's gross, but, um, just really not doing well. And, um, I remember lying on the couch and just looking up and thinking there has got to be more to life than this. Right. There's got to be more. And by this time I'm, um, you know, in I'm my later twenties, like 26 or seven. And my sister, um, she and I did not have a good relationship. Uh, she was a born again Christian and I thought she was just so self-righteous and I don't know that she was, but this was, this is me. Sure. This was me. I don't want any part of your effing God. I was one of those people. Mm. Don't talk to me about that. I mean, just the kind that you would say, gosh, you know, spend your, spend your time on somebody who there's hope for. <laughs> right. That was me. Just as angry. I was, I was, um, just so broken, just so broken. And I was in so much internal pain that this is why I was doing these drugs all the time. Yeah. Of course, I didn't know that at the time. Sure. And um, my sister had called me and said that she's going to this new church and it's really cool. It's different. They use drums and stuff. They have like a whole band on Sunday morning. Now you have to understand this was not commonplace like it is today. Mm. At all. And so uh, it's like drawing the church. You know, we, <laughs> we went to Presbyterian church when I was growing up. Yeah. And, um, they didn't have any drums there. <laughs> no, not at all. So my sister told me about this and I called her and I said, Julia, um, I'd like to go to that church with you. Hmm. And it's dead silent on the other end because I'm sure she's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, I can, you know, she'd been praying for me. And, um, I'm sure she'd had her friends praying for me and all this stuff. And she, um, so she, uh, we, we went to church that, that Sunday, it was a vineyard, the Santa Monica vineyard. Um, and they met in an old Mexican theater called the Cine oh. and your <laughs> feet would stick to the floor because of the cokes that had been spilled right. in the sugar all over the floor and um so we went and we had to sit in the front row because her one of her really good friends babies was getting dedicated that day and she was not going to be you know going up with for prayer for the baby so and all of this is such god's orchestration because this was a semi-charismatic church okay um, not dog and pony show, but definitely charismatic. Right. And, um, charismatic, not carelessmatic. Yes, thank you. And um, so people were raising their hands and stuff all over the church, and I'm in the front row, so I don't think I'm really 
noticing that so much. I mean, I'm sure I did see something, but um, now keep in mind, I'm still, I feel like crap. I'm sick, right. you know, from trying to, to not do these drugs. So anyway, the pastor, um, I don't even remember what he talked about. I have no idea. But at the end, he said, if you would like to accept Christ, you know, this Jesus that he'd been talking about, um, raise your hand. Well, I'm in the front row and I'm thinking, I'm not raising my hand, <laughs> you know? And, um, but I said in my heart, Lord, I, I want what he's talking about. Hmm. I want that. And then just, I don't know, I'm sitting in the car in the back of my sister's VW um, and she and a friend are in the front seat my sister's driving and we're going to a little reception for this baby dedication that they just had. And I am like shaking. I'm shaking. Hmm. Well, I'm full of the Holy spirit. <laughs> I have no idea. Cause I don't even know what that means. Right. And, um, I, they're talking and I said, you guys, you guys, something happened to me in there. And, and, I just see them look at each other and smile. <laughs> and what had happened was God delivered me from my addiction. Oh, instantly. Yes. That's awesome. And it wasn't because I asked for it because I don't even know this guy, right? I don't even know his awesomeness. I don't know his power. I mean, I, I went to church growing up and, and I had a really good youth group. And so I did have some sense of, the real God. I yeah. did. I had some experiences, but nothing that ever stuck, you know? Right. Um, I went to a wonderful camp when I was in middle school and I did, I had lost all memory of it though, of the presence of God. Wow. And so, um, anyway, that's, that's how I became a believer. And then from then on, I was just so in love with God that, um, and, and it wasn't that I didn't struggle with, with things after that. I, I didn't struggle with cocaine and here I'm married to this guy who's totally uninterested in my new life. Right. And I tried with all my heart to, um, you know, I'm hopefully that he was going to become a believer, but that just didn't happen. And, um, and it, we ended up getting a divorce, um, because he decided he'd like, other girls instead of me now because I'm this Christian girl. So anyway, um, I started writing songs about my faith and, um, I, um, I, I went, this vineyard was so amazing because they had, it, they didn't even have a building, right. But they had an office building and they had three counselors on staff because they were so into inner healing oh, and cool. deliverance. That's awesome. I mean, where else could I have gone? My goodness, I went to counseling and they had retreats and I had delivering prayer, prayed, you know, over me, all kinds of things. And um, really, it took a couple of years. And, and of course, I'm not done. I, we will, None of us will be until we go be with the Lord. But um, right. I was just so blessed to be in that situation um, after all I had put myself through and been through as a child and, and all those kinds of things. And so I started writing songs about my faith and they started letting me share some of them at, at church. And, hmm. um, and I was sharing one and, um, 
I don't, I don't remember how um, Cheryl ended up coming. Oh, I know. I had, I, I moved in with a friend of mine and we lived in a high rise right at like Sunset and Doheny right. in, in West LA. Um, and she got a phone call from somebody who's starting an all girl Christian rock band. Hmm. And she was, she was a really talented girl and, um, good singer, good player. Um, and she was, she, she wasn't interested in being part of this. She says, but my roommate, she, she's a musician too. You know, she might be interested in this. So Cheryl came to church because I was going to be doing um, one of my songs and she heard the song and she's like, Oh my gosh, you know, we need, we need somebody who can write. Oh, cool. And, and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really that good. And I don't really, I'm not aspired to do anything like that, but I talked to them and Jennifer York, who was the bass player who got, um, she got the vision for the band in the first place right? and um, had a meeting with them and talked and everything. And then I thought, well, you know, I, I mean, okay, let's try it. Maybe it would be a fun outlet for cool my songs. and Right. Hey, at that point, Bryn, who was in Rachel, Rachel, were you like the last piece of the puzzle? Jenny. Uh, yeah. Jennifer York on bass. Cheryl Jewell singing, and I believe they had Helly, our guitar player. Okay. She wasn't in that first meeting, but um, right. but we didn't have a drummer. Okay. That was a quandary. We needed a, a female yep. drummer who's solid and good and can play rock. Yep. Not some paltry little drummer. <laughs> right. <laughs> who has to be a born-again believer and who has to feel called to do music ministry. Right. I mean, pretty, pretty big, um, request there to try to find, but, um, but we found her through a friend of mine who owned Westwood music. Uh, so then, you know, we eventually got together and Jenny York had known, um, Billy Smiley from when Whiteheart did, um, she used to be in radio. I think it was up in New York or something. And Whiteheart came in for an interview, and Billy had talked to her because Billy's always looking for somebody to produce. Yes, <laughs> and uh, to this day. And um, so he gave her his card, and she kept it. So I think she gave him a call. We put together. Now we weren't even a band yet, mind you. Right. We were putting together song and kind of getting together. And I mean, this is a long time ago. I don't even remember all the details, but we ended up doing a showcase and I remember seeing video of it and thinking, Oh my gosh, we look so ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> while we were wearing and stuff like that. It was like, Oh my gosh, we look so stupid. Oh, I'm sure it was. I'm sure you fit right in with the times. Oh yeah. Well, well, yeah, you can see there was no professional refinement there, but um, <laughs> anyway, we, we did a showcase at, I think it was like, was it a music school in Hollywood called MIT. MIT, yeah. And they had GIT, the Guitar Institute of Technology. Yeah. <laughs> well, we did a showcase there. So Billy arranged for Lynn Kiesiger to come, um, and he was an A&R guy at Word, uh, to come to this showcase. And uh, so we did the showcase, and the next thing you know, we got a record deal. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. 
So it's not like, oh, we played out all these places and this, that, the other thing. And it's like, you know, we sometimes people, and I think it's because we were women, and, and I get it, um, that people say, oh, the record company put this band together. And it's just like, well, no, they didn't. Right. You know, we, we felt called by God to come together. And Jennifer York had a very strong vision of doing this and um, ministering to people through the music. You were going to do it with or without a record deal. Absolutely, yeah. We didn't know what we were doing or what we were going to do, but it just turned out that he, you know, I never I never sought a record deal. I don't even think I knew what was going on, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and I'm, I'm not a great player. I mean, I'm not like... You're a really, really good acoustic player. So Well, I didn't even play guitar then. I was a keyboard player. Right. I remember you every night playing keyboards in occasional acoustic, but I haven't seen you play keyboards in years. Well, when you marry a keyboard player, there's really not room. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually when you marry that keyboard player. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That you uh, don't get to so. play much. you got to get up really early in the morning to beat him to the piano bench. Well, do you still play at all, like when you're home and he's gone running? Yeah, well, I don't much anymore, but um, some stuff we're working on now is a little, um, we're going to put me on some keyboard stuff. Oh, that's cool. That'll be fun. I have seen you in the last 20 years play acoustic hundreds of times, and Bryn, you're awesome. Oh, well, they're very kind. Thank you. I mean, when I took my little lessons at the park that I talked about earlier, right. um, my teacher um, at the park talked talk to my mom and said, you know, she really got it. She really loves this and she's really pretty good at it. And um, I teach private lessons at the local music store there on Ventura Boulevard. Or, and um, so my mom was like, put me in lessons with this guy. His name was Paul. I don't remember his name, but I remember his name being Paul and his first name. And he said he loved Simon Garfunkel. Mm. And so he taught me all these Simon and Garfunkel songs. Oh, cool. Well, it's like all finger-picking guitar. Yep. All of it. I never really learned how to strum. I suck at strumming today. I'm terrible. Well, you might not be able to strum, Bryn, but you make up for it. You are an amazing finger-picking acoustic player with incredible touch on the strings. Oh well, yes, and I, and if I'm if I don't play my guitar consistently, I can notice that I really have to work on it. And I, and I I practice with the metronome always, right? Always, and you can tell which fingers are like weaker than others because they're the ones that are late <laughs> <laughs> in your pattern. So, uh, well, that's very kind of you to say. But um, well, it's true. Yeah, I'm. You know, when Gersh wants me to do a, a, a strum pattern records something i'm like ah. <laughs> <laughs> and i do need to work on it and he always is telling me that and he's right um i guess i don't kind of know how but um i can finger pick guitar and i, I love it too but yeah. that that i feel really confident in and, and that's because my teacher only taught me how to play simon garfunkel right. <laughs> all those years ago right Okay, so let's skip ahead a little bit. So you're in Rachel Rachel. You get a record deal. Billy Smiley's going to be your producer. When you went in the studio for the very first time, were you girls terrified? Oh, oh, gosh. Well, I'm sure I was. You know, we had come out to Nashville to do a demo 
Okay. At Mark Cheshire's house, if you knew Mark Cheshire, he, I think Billy had us come out to Nashville to do like a four song demo. And I think that's what he probably played for Lynn Kiesiker to come out to see the showcase. Sure. And um, I remember this story that we, we all shared a hotel room, all four of us. We didn't have Sparky yet. We didn't have our drummer yet. Our bass player, Jennifer York, I think she was so nervous. She's she's very high strung anyway, but she was so nervous. She got out her bass at like four in the morning oh. and she's got her headphones on and she's playing her bass. Oh, that's funny. Like it doesn't make noise. Right. <laughs> hitting the strings. Like, you know, all the, <laughs> the hitting the strings. We're like, Jen, stop. <laughs> she got mad, went down to the lobby and practice down there but so i know that she was nervous um yeah well i'm sure i was but like i said there's a certain cluelessness to what i was i i really didn't know what was going on right. <laughs> like i said i didn't seek out a record deal i was it wasn't like my big dream coming true right it was all fun and exciting don't get me wrong but um just yeah so I, i'm sure i was nervous i i just don't really remember okay so what what do you remember about the first album itself? Oh, the first album? Oh, gosh. It was so exciting. It was so fun. You know, you do song selection, and um, and I had a lot of songs to contribute. But, you know, they don't – when you're in a band, right? it's not a solo thing. So you your songs get – even if to this day you think that that was a better choice than certain other ones – it's like, well, that's just what it's like being in a band. There's a lot of compromise. and um, uh, But, you know, recording, we recorded in Nashville. We're, we're all a bunch of L.A. girls. We recorded in Nashville, so uh, we were here where I live here now and have for many, many years now. Yeah. And um, it was just so fun. I mean, our engineer was Lee Groich. He's a wonderful guy, was so kind to us. Um a funny story. We we went um, to go through the drive-through when we were here in Nashville, and um, we we were ordering on the speaker, which is you know hard to hear anyway. And the and the we ordered some iced tea. Hmm. Um, I probably ordered iced tea because that sounds like something I would order. And um, the the gal says, "Okay, you try your own way." <laughs> and and we're like looking at each other like what she say what she saying whoever was driving was like oh, I'm sorry what did you say not try on Tway and we're looking at it, we're like I I don't know just just drive up drive up the window and we're like I, we're sorry I, we don't we just want some icy skills you want Tway on Tway and we're like sweet or I'm sweet oh okay. <laughs> Because they don't sell sweet tea in Los Angeles. Right, right. If you want sweet tea, you put sugar in it. Right. It's a southern thing. And uh, that's one of the stories from recording the record that I, I remember. <laughs> the L.A. girls totally getting lost in the translation. <laughs> it's kind of like the female city slickers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. But um, the last day of recording, now, um, we used um, session players, um on the record because um, it's just, it takes a long time to record music and record it well. And if you're not used to being in the studio back in those days, it was like a thousand dollars a day right. for a studio. At least. And so you can't mess around. 
And so to hasten things and because, you know, it's if you have great players at your disposal, why not put them on there and make the record the best it can be, whether it's all you guys or not. Um, so Dan Huff came, played some solos. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I did not program any keyboards. I didn't know how to program keyboards. I could play them, but programming, that's a whole nother thing. So this guy, Carl Marsh, he, he programmed all that stuff and it was done before, I think before we even got to Nashville, you know, I'm sure Billy was, you know, right. talking to him about all that stuff. And the last day there was, um, some keyboard overdubs that Billy wanted and, um, I, I wasn't necessarily comfortable with doing that. I, I didn't have gear there. We would have to rent everything or whatever. So he hired the keyboard player from Whiteheart to come in <laughs> and do it. And he comes in. He was probably late because he always is. And um, his hair was all wet because he'd been running. So something's never changed. <laughs> something's <Lauren>. never changed. <laughs> and um, I remember thinking, God, she's really cute. And... Um, but he's like he works out all the time and stuff like that. That's just that's not my cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I thought, well, no, you know. But he, you know, came in and did some overdubs on "Rain on Me" and some other things. And um, the last day of recording, and I, I remember that. And um, so that was, hmm. I think that was my first encounter with Gersh. That is great. Now, rumor has always been that you met on the Tales of Wonder tour. Oh, that's not true, no. And and you know how it used to be that these theme parks like Knott's Berry Farm and Magic Mountain and Disneyland and all that used to have these nights of joy or whatever where it would be a Christian night. They don't do that anymore because our society has really changed. But um, every those were always so fun because yeah. you would just be able – well, you get in the park. They would like close the park for a while. Mm -hmm. um on some of those and so there'd be it'd be like empty for two hours and that would give the bands a chance to just kind of come in and do their setup or whatever it was but the fun thing is, is you could get on the rides and, yep. if you had time and um but you know you'd see the people that were also artists that um that you had developed relationships with through either at GMA or, you know, the meetings that you have to have that your record company has you go to, or you play together, uh, you're on the same bill somewhere. And, um, those were always really fun nights yep. because you got to see people that you, you knew that were your peers and they were all in one place at one time. Right. And, um, so I think Whiteheart probably was playing one of those. And of course, you know, we'd go see them. And so I had to, connections with uh with gersh before the tour right. but the tour was really what happened <laughs> right when you made that love connection you know where we really got to know each other right well the cool thing about it is you guys were in a different city every day lots of new things to explore and uh so it was a really magical time it was a great tour and everything but before we get too far down okay past there i want to stop and rewind for just a second you guys got tremendous grief for using studio musicians on your album when probably 80 to 90% of all Christian albums that are made in Nashville have studio musicians. Do you want to comment on that before we move past it? 
Well, yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that. Now, uh, let me preface this by saying I am the furthest thing from like a feminist that there is in the world. <laughs> okay. True. And I'm not on this old oh, poor woman trip. And uh, do I believe that women do experience some of issues? Of course I do. I'm, I'm a woman. Hello. <laughs> um, but there was a particular, um, magazine in Christendom that did like reviews and things like that. And a particular person who did a lot of these reviews, who was pretty well known at the time. And this person reviewed our album and basically um, trashed us for using session players. (laughs) You know, they use session players. So obviously they're not the real deal. Kind of, kind of a tone. And it really made us mad because yeah, we use some session players, but we, we could play. We went out live. Come see us live, you know? And um, the thing that really made us mad was in the, I don't know if it was in that same magazine or just in that same year, another very, very, very popular um, all-male Christian band. (laughs) One you would know. Had an album come out. And this same reporter guy or writer guy wrote about how their drummer just was off the charge, it was the best he's ever played, and blah, 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 blah. And we happen to know, because we're in the industry, that this particular person didn't play a freaking beat <laughs> on the record. He never played anything on the record. But they weren't honest about it. I don't know that they were dishonest about it, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But this this reporter guy, yeah. Oh, so the guy band gets away with using somebody and they don't even play on it. But the girl band, they're not, you know, they're not the real deal because they use session players. I mean, it's just like, really, man? Come on. Unnecessary grief. Hey Rockstar provides digital marketing software and services for your church to generate more interest, create more exposure, and reach more people. Let Hey Rockstar amplify the awesomeness of your ministry. And, as always, Hey Rockstar is a proud sponsor of the Stage Right with John Thorne podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. My thanks to Hey Rockstar. My special thanks to Bryn Gershmill. Next week, part two of my conversation with Bryn. Have a fantastic week.